Section 10 of The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Richard Elwood. The Life of Samuel Johnson, Volume 4, by James Boswell, Section 10. Mrs. Thrale mentioned a gentleman who had acquired a fortune of four thousand a year in trade, but was absolutely miserable, because he could not talk in company, so miserable that he was impelled to lament his situation in the street to blank, whom he hates, and who he knows despises him. Footnote. Perhaps Mr. Stewart, who was constantly at the Thrales. End of footnote. I am a most unhappy man, said he. I am invited to conversations. I go to conversations, but alas, I have no conversation. Johnson. Man commonly cannot be successful in different ways. This gentleman has spent, in getting four thousand pounds a year, the time in which he might have learnt to talk, and now he cannot talk. Mr. Perkins made a shrewd and droll remark. If he had got his four thousand a year as a mountebank, he might have learnt to talk at the same time that he was getting his fortune. Some other gentlemen came in. The conversation concerning the person whose character Dr. Johnson had treated so slightingly, as he did not know his merit, was resumed. Mrs. Thrale said, You think so of him, sir, because he is quiet, and does not exert himself with force. You'll be saying the same thing of Mr. Blank there, who sits as quiet. This was not well-bred, and Johnson did not let it pass without correction. Nay, madame, what right have you to talk thus? Both Mr. Blank and I have reason to take it ill. You may talk so of Mr. Blank, but why do you make me do it? Have I said anything against Mr. Blank? You have set him, that I might shoot him, but I have not shot him. One of the gentlemen said he had seen three folio volumes of Dr. Johnson's sayings collected by me. I must put you right, sir, said I, for I am very exact in authenticity. You could not see folio volumes, for I have none. You might have seen some in quattro, and octavo. This is inattention, which one should guard against. Johnson. Sir, it is a want of concern about veracity. He does not know that he saw any volumes. If he had seen them, he could have remembered their size. Mr. Thrale appeared very lethargic today. I saw him again on Monday evening, at which time he was not thought to be in immediate danger, but early in the morning of Wednesday, the 4th, he expired. Footnote. It was the seventh anniversary of Goldsmith's death. Mrs. Garrick and I, wrote Hannah Moore, were invited to an assembly at Mrs. Thrale's. There was to be a fine concert, and all the fine people were to be there. Just as my hair was dressed, came a servant to forbid our coming, for that Mr. Thrale was dead. In the footnote. Johnson was in the house, and thus mentions the event, I felt almost the last flutter of his pulse, and looked for the last time upon the face that, for fifteen years, had never been turned upon me but with respect and benignity. Footnote. The rest of the entry should be given. On Wednesday, eleven, was buried my dear friend Thrale, who died on Wednesday four. And with him were buried many of my hopes and pleasures. On Sunday, first, the physician warned him against full meals, 
On Monday I pressed him to observance of his rules, but without effect. And Tuesday I was absent, but his wife pressed forbearance upon him again unsuccessfully. At night I was called to him, and found him senseless in strong convulsions. I stayed in the room, except that I visited Mr. Thrale twice. About five, I think, on Wednesday morning he expired. I felt, etc., farewell. May God that delighteth in mercy have had mercy on thee. I had constantly prayed for him some time before his death. The decease of him, from whose friendship I had obtained many opportunities of amusement, and to whom I turned my thoughts as a refuge from misfortunes, has left me heavy. But my business is with myself. The passage, enclosed in brackets, I have copied from the original MS. Mr. Stratton, the editor, omitted it, no doubt from feelings of delicacy. What a contrast in this to the widow who published a letter in which she had written, I wish that you would put in a word of your own to Mr. Thrale about eating less. Baretti, in a note on Piozzi letters, says that nobody ever had spirit enough to tell Mr. Thrale that his fits were apoplectic. Such is the blessing of being rich that nobody dares to speak out. In Johnson's works, 1787, it is recorded that Johnson, who attended Thrale in his last moment, said, His servants would have waited upon him in this awful period, and why not his friend? End of footnote. Upon that day there was a call of the literary club, but Johnson apologized for his absence by the following note. Mr. Johnson knows that Sir Joshua Reynolds and the other gentlemen will excuse his incompliance with the call when they are told that Mr. Thrale died this morning, Wednesday. Mr. Thrale's death was a very essential loss to Johnson, who, although he did not foresee all that afterwards happened, was sufficiently convinced that the comforts which Mr. Thrale's family afforded him would now in a great measure cease. Footnote. Johnson's letters to the widow show how much he felt Thrale's death. April 5, 1781. I am not without my part of the calamity. No death since that of my wife has ever oppressed me like this. April 7. My part of the loss hangs upon me. I have lost a friend of boundless kindness at an age when it is very unlikely that I should find another. April 9. Our sorrow has different effects. You are withdrawn into solitude, and I am driven into company. I am afraid of thinking what I have lost. I never had such a friend before. April 11. I feel myself like a man beginning a new course of life. I had interwoven myself with my dear friend. I have very often, wrote Miss Burney in the following June, though I mention them not, long and melancholy discourses with Dr. Johnson about our dear deceased master, whom indeed he regrets incessantly. On his next birthday he wrote, My first acknowledge of Thrale was in 1765. I enjoyed his favor for almost a fourth part of my life. One or two passages in Mrs. Thrale's letters show her husband's affection for Johnson. On May 3, 1776, she writes, Mr. Thrale says he shall not die in peace without seeing Rome, and I am sure he will go nowhere that he can help without you. A few days later she speaks of our dear master, 
who cannot be quiet without you for a week johnson in his fine epitaph on thrale broke through a rule which he himself had laid down in his essay on epitaphs he said it is improper to address the epitaph to the passenger traveller a custom which is injudicious veneration for antiquity introduced again at the revival of letters yet in the monument of Stretham church we find the same abbey viator which he had censured in an epitaph on henry the fourth of france End of footnote. he however continued to show a kind of attention to his widow and children as long as it was acceptable and he took upon him with a very earnest concern the office of his executors the importance of which seemed greater than usual to him from his circumstances having been always such that he had scarcely any share in the real business of life footnote johnson's letters to mrs thrale show that he had long been well acquainted with the state of her husband's business in the year seventeen seventy two mr thrale was in money difficulties johnson writes to her almost as if he were a partner in the business the first consequence of our late trouble ought to be an endeavour to brew at a cheaper rate unless this can be done nothing can help us and if this be done we shall not want help he urges economy in the household and continues but the fury of housewifery will soon subside and little effect will be produced but by methodical attention and even frugality in another letter he writes this year will undoubtedly be a year of struggle and difficulty but i doubt not of getting through it and the difficulty will grow yearly less and less supposing that our former mode of life kept us on the level we shall by the present contradiction of expense gain upon fortune a thousand a year even though no improvements can be made in the conduct of the trade four years later he writes today i went to look into my places at the borough i called on mr perkins in the counting-house he crows and triumphs as we go on we shall double our business when the executors first met he wrote we met to-day and were told of mountainous difficulties till i was provoked to tell them that if they were really so much to do and suffer there would be no executors in the world do not suffer yourself to be terrified boswell says i often had occasion to remark johnson loved business loved to have his wisdom actually operate on real life when boswell had purchased a farm johnson he writes made several calculations of the expense and profit for he delighted in exercising his mind on the science of numbers the letter about the book trade exhibits to use boswell's words his extraordinary precision and acuteness boswell wrote to temple Dr. Taylor has begged of Dr. Johnson to come to London, to assist him in some interesting business, and Johnson loves so much to be consulted, and so comes up. End of footnote. His friends of the club were in hopes that Mr. Thrale might have made a liberal provision for him for his life, which, as Mr. Thrale left no son, and a very large fortune, it would have been highly to his honour to have done, and, considering Dr. Johnson's age, could not have been of long duration. But he bequeathed him only two hundred pounds, which was the legacy given to each of his executors. Footnote. Johnson, as soon as the will was read, wrote to Mr. Thrale, 
you have five hundred pounds for your immediate expenses, and two thousand a year with both the houses and all the goods. Betty wrote on June 1st, Everybody says Mr. Thrale should have left Johnson two hundred a year, which from a fortune like his would have been a very inconsiderable deduction. End of footnote. I could not be somewhat diverted by hearing Dr. Johnson talk in a pompous manner of his new office, and particularly at the concerns of the brewery, which it was at last resolved should be sold. Footnote. Miss Burney thus writes of the day of the sale. Mrs. Thrale went early to town to meet all the executors, and Mr. Barclay, the Quaker, who was the bidder. She was in great agitation of mind, and told me if all went well, she would wave a white handkerchief out of the coach window. Four o'clock came, and dinner was ready, and no Mrs. Thrale. Queenly and I went out upon the lawn, where we sauntered in eager expectation, till near six, and then the coach appeared in sight, and a white handkerchief was waved from it. The brewery was sold for a hundred and thirty-five thousand pounds. End footnote. Lord Lucan tells a very good story, which, if not precisely exact, is certainly characteristic, that when the sale of Thrale's brewery was going forward, Johnson appeared bustling about, with an inkhorn and a pen in his buttonhole, like an excise man, and on being asked what he really considered to be the value of the property which was to be disposed of, answered, we are not here to sell a parcel of boilers and vats, but the potentiality of growing rich beyond the dreams of avarice. Footnote. Baretti. In a MS. Note says that the two last years of Thrale's life his brewery brought him thirty thousand pounds a year neat profit. End of footnote. On Friday, April 6th, he carried me to dine at a club which, at his desire, had been lately formed at the Queen's Arms, in St. Paul's Churchyard. He told Mr. Houle that he wished to have a city club, and asked him to collect one, but, said he, don't let them be patriots. Footnote. In the fourth edition of his dictionary, published in 1773, Johnson introduced a second definition of patriot. It is sometimes used for a factious disturber of the government. Gibbon wrote on February 21, 1772, Charles Fox is commenced patriot, and is already attempting to pronounce the words country, liberty, corruption, etc., with what success time will discover. Forty years before Johnson begged not to meet patriots, Sir Robert Walpole said, A patriot, sir? Why, patriots spring up like mushrooms. I could raise fifty of them within the four and twenty hours. I have raised many of them in one night. It is but refusing to gratify an unreasonable or an insolent demand, and up starts a patriot. I have never been afraid of making patriots, but I disdain and despise all their efforts. End of footnote. The company were today very sensible, well-behaved men. I have preserved only two particulars of his conversation. He said he was glad Lord George Gordon had escaped rather than that a precedent should be established for hanging a man for constructive treason. Footnote. He was tried on February 5 and 6, 1781. End of footnote. 
which in consistency with his true manly constitutional toryism he considered would be a dangerous engine of arbitrary power and upon its being mentioned that an opulent and very indolent scottish nobleman who totally resigned the management of his affairs to a man of knowledge and abilities had claimed some merit by saying the next best thing to managing a man's own affairs well being sensible of incapacity and not attempting it but having full confidence in one who can do it johnson nay sir this is paltry there is a middle course let a man give application and depend upon it he will soon get above a despicable state of helplessness and attain the power of acting for himself on saturday april seven i dined with him at mr hoole's with governor barouchier and captain ormy both of whom had been long in the east indies and being men of good sense and observation were very entertaining johnson defended the oriental regulation of different castes of men which was objected to as totally destructive of the hopes of rising in society by personal merit he showed that there was a principle in it sufficiently plausible by analogy we see said he in metals that there are different species and so likewise in animals though one species may not differ very widely from another as in the species of dogs the cur the spaniel the mastiff the brahmins are the mastiffs of mankind on thursday april twelve i dined with him at a bishop's where were sir joshua reynolds mr Beringer, and some more company he had dined the day before at another bishop's i have unfortunately recorded none of his conversation at the bishop's where we dined together footnote hannah moore records a dinner on a tuesday in this year like mrs thrale and mrs burney she carried nothing for dates it was the week after thrale's death it must have been the dinner here mentioned by boswell for it was at a bishop's shipley of st asaph and sir joshua and boswell were among the guests why boswell recorded none of johnson's conversation may be guessed from what she tells i was heartily disgusted she says with mr boswell who came upstairs after dinner much disordered with wine the following morning johnson called on her he reproved me she writes with pretended sharpness for reading les pensis de pascal alleging that as a good protestant i ought to abstain from books written by catholics i was beginning to stand upon my defence when he took me with both hands and with a tear running down his cheeks child said he with the most affecting earnestness i am heartily glad that you read pious books by whomsoever they may be written End of footnote. but i have preserved his ingenious deference of dining twice abroad in passion week footnote on good friday in seventeen seventy eight johnson recorded it has happened this week as it never happened in passion week before that i have never dined at home and have therefore neither practised abstinence nor peculiar devotion End of footnote. a laxity in which i am convinced he would not have indulged himself at the time when he wrote his solemn paper in the rambler upon that awful season it appeared to me that by being much more in company and enjoying more luxurious living he had contracted a keener relish of pleasure and was consequently less rigorous in his religious rites this he would not acknowledge but he reasoned with admirable sophistry as follows 
why sir a bishop's calling company together in this week is to use the vulgar phrase not the thing but you must consider laxity as a bad thing but preciseness is also a bad thing and your general character may be more hurt by preciseness than by dining with a bishop in passion week there might be a handle for reflection it might be said he refused to dine with a bishop in passion week but was three sundays absent from church boswell very true sir but suppose a man to be uniformly of good conduct would it not be better that he should refuse to dine with a bishop in the week and so not encourage a bad practice by his example johnson why sir you are to consider whether you might not do more harm by lessening the influence of a bishop's character by your disapprobation in refusing him than by going to him to mrs lucy porter in lynchfield dear madame life is full of troubles i have just lost my dear friend thrale i hope he is happy but i have had a great loss i am otherwise pretty well i require some care of myself but that care is not ineffectual and when i am out of order i think it often my own fault the spring is now making quick advances as it is a season in which the whole world is enlivened and invigorated i hope that both you and i shall partake of its benefits my desire is to see lichfield but being left executor to my friend i know not whether i can be spared but i will try for it is now long since we saw one another and how little we can promise ourselves many more interviews we are taught by hourly examples of mortality let us try to live so as that mortality may not be an evil write to me soon my dearest your letters will give me great pleasure i am sorry that mr porter has not had his box but by sending it to Mr. Matthias, who very readily undertook its conveyance, I did the best I could, and perhaps before now he has it. Be so kind as to make my compliments to my friends. I have a great value for their kindness, and hope to enjoy it before the summer is past. Do write to me. I am, dearest love, your most humble servant, Sam Johnson. London, April 12, 1781 on friday april thirteenth being good friday i went to st clement's church with him as usual there i saw again his old fellow collegian edwards to whom i said i think sir dr johnson and you meet only at church sir said he it is the best place we can meet in except heaven and i hope we shall meet there too dr johnson told me that there was very little communication between edwards and him after their unexpected renewal of acquaintance but said he smiling he met me once and said i am told you have written a very pretty book called the rambler i was unwilling that he should leave the world in total darkness and send him a set mr berenger visited him to-day and was very pleasing footnote richard berenger esq many years gentleman of the horse and first equerry to his present majesty malone according to mrs piazzi he was Johnson's standard of true elegance. End of footnote. We talked of an evening society for conversation at a house in town, of which we were all members, but of which Johnson said, It will never do, sir. There is nothing served about there. Neither tea, nor coffee, nor lemonade, nor anything whatever. And depend upon it, sir, a man does not love to go to a place from whence he comes out exactly as he went in. 
I endeavored, for argument's sake, to maintain that men of learning and talents might have very good intellectual society without the aid of any little gratifications of the senses. Beringer joined with Johnson and said that without these any meeting would be dull and insipid. He would therefore have all the slight refreshments. Nay, it would not be amiss to have some cold meat and a bottle of wine upon a sideboard. Sir, said Johnson to me with an air of triumph, Mr. Beringer knows the world. Everybody loves to have good things furnished to them without any trouble. I told Mrs. Thrale once that as she did not choose to have card tables, she should have a profusion of the best sweet meats, and she would be sure to have company enough to come to her. I agreed with my illustrious friend upon this subject, for it has pleased God to make man a composite animal, and where there is nothing to refresh the body, the mind will languish. End of section 10